You're listening to the CapEx Big Question podcast, where we're joined by other investors, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs discussing global game-changing trends and burning topics that keep investors up at night, one question at a time. I'm good, actually. Um, I'm Yeah, I'm really good. I'm enjoying these markets, to be honest. Like, yeah. You know, well... Scarily so, right? When things are all going, (laughs) I think I mentioned this the other day. When things are all going in the direction that you anticipate, then you start sort of looking around you, thinking, (laughs) "This, this is not normal." Did I actually get this right? (laughs) (laughs) That's like, oh, something. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of in this this state of paranoia but i think that's probably a healthy state to always be in and i'm probably always in that just to a certain level so so that's kind of where i'm at and um yeah did you have commodity you have commodity plays going or currency what what, what, yeah yeah not not so much commodities but interest rates um huge huge positions on interest rates and then the sort of derivatives of interest rates so kind of thinking through how that that environment can play out and then really just to guess some sort of select non-correlated um, issues which which have been doing okay um, and and really have just been largely unaffected by the sort of global macro um, yeah but it does provide that that sort of hedge into the um, into the fund so yeah you know the only things that are not um, let me think what's not working for us. Gold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, you know, so back in, when was it? September, I think it was, when we had that first smack, smack to, to gold. So we had a, we had a gold, we had a, a bull call spread on. And so we took off the, um, we took off the short side. So we basically, yeah. you know, so we kind of profited from that, and, and we just left. We left with the open call, um, which we're still sitting with, but it's, you know, it's out of the money and it's not, you know, profitable where it is now. But you know, that's why I, one of the reasons I wanted to hop on with you is to get a sense for what your take is. You know, we've kind of we've had yeah. this whole Trump environment, if you will, and it's not just Trump. Yeah. You know, you and I have discussed this before. We've got. Yeah. Sunday, we've got Italy, and then and it, and you know, there's two big issues coming up Sunday. There's Italy and Austria, and then yeah, yeah Italy's fourth of December, Austria's fourth of December. That's this Sunday. Yeah. Then Netherlands on the fifteenth of March, France eleventh of April, Germany twenty seventh of August, Sweden the ninth of September, and so you've got this between now and September next year. We have a number of catalysts all lining up, and so I think that the the downside, if you will, for me, is that these you know Brexit and Trump were good for me in that they were anticipated, and so yeah. the asymmetry in the markets was significant. This, yeah. but as we progress, the the odds are that that is not quite as significant, you know, um, because it's the market starts pricing um, these potential eventualities. And so, but nevertheless, this is, you know, this is, these are seriously market moving events and not just in the short term. You know, sometimes we have these events that are kind of, like I go back to this breaking of the Swiss franc, the, the peg. Yeah. And that was yeah. like, it was a market moving event, but you know what? Over the long haul, it wasn't that big an event, right? It was, I think it was 10 sigma on the um, event scale, which is significant. And certainly there were a whole lot of people that got wiped out. There was a couple of billion dollar funds who went belly up. But over time, in within six months, that event had been digested by the market and right. um, dealt with. Whereas I think a lot of things that are taking place now have longer knock-on ramifications as a consequence of that i'm extremely interested in the gold trade and i think that its time is is um is nearing you know i'm probably 
one of the most bullish guys for gold in the medium to long term. And I think we've talked about this before. It's so, look, most people that get it and kind of understand the reasons for having gold already have it in some form. And the other half of the people, the other 99% of the people don't understand it, can't understand it, and don't own it. And you, to get them to own it, you really got to do a hard sales job, for lack of a better, better word. Um, and so I always, I'm always trying to be careful when I'm short-term negative on gold because I think that that gives them license to either sell the gold that they already have or hold off on buying gold. And I think everybody should own gold right now. You absolutely positively have to own gold right now, at least a portion of it, right? Well, um, Ray, I think if, if, if it, let's dial back the clock to, yeah. I don't know, 20 years ago, let's, yeah. let's put ourselves early nineties and say, what kind of, let's, let's, let's build a narrative. Let's build a fictional story and say, in what environment would you, would you think that gold is an absolute must have? And let's just lay out what that environment could look like. I think that you'd be hard pressed not to come up with what today looks like. Yeah, you know, I mean, all the reasons that you would ever come up with for owning gold are playing out, have already played out or are in the process of playing out or will play out in the next couple of years. I mean, I, I really cannot devise a more bullish setup for gold over the next, call it, you know, five years, six mm -hmm. years, have whatever, whatever the term is, right? Um, you couldn't draw up a more reason. And Trump getting in, despite the react, the short-term reaction in the market since Trump getting in, Trump getting in and instituting some of the policies, if he institutes some of the policies that he's indicated that he's going to do, that makes the bullish case for gold even more. And, and I, I can kind of get into the reasons for that. Um, but, you know, again, I, I actually think in the short term, there's some serious headwinds for gold. Now, we've already seen a lot of it, right? So, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe the majority of that has already been felt. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I do see a number of short-term headwinds for gold. Uh, but those short-term headwinds actually end up being long-term positive for gold. And it, I know it's kind of hard for some people to kind of get their head around that. But, uh, again, some of these short-term moves that are taking place, I think will, they're basically sowing the seeds for a bigger disaster down the road, which then leads to gold, you know, doing even better you so, know, down the road. So explain, explain some of those short term, what, what are you looking at there? Okay. So from the, for the short term in gold, I see a three to four negative headwinds. And when I say headwinds, I'm not saying that these are absolutely disaster things for gold and that gold's never going to do well. I just see some short-term headwinds. And some of those, are, well, one is the strong dollar. Um, I've been talking about the strong dollar for a while. You know, I did this step into liquid presentation earlier this year where I kind of laid out my strong dollar thesis. And the, 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 the end game in that thesis is that both gold and dollars rise together. Um, but in the short term, a strong dollar, I think, is a headwind for gold because I don't think the the strong dollar hasn't created the long-term effects that I think are going to propel gold forward yet. So in the short term, the strong dollar is a headwind. Um, the other thing that I think is somewhat of a headwind is the lack of short-term catalysts. And, and that also plays back into the strong dollar. So think about this. Think In the first six months of the year, we had four things that were extremely positive for gold. It was almost a perfect storm of positive information for gold. So, uh, if, you, if we fast forward, if we rewind one year ago and go back to the beginning of December, go back to December of 2015, if you look at the commitment of traders set up, so the commitment of traders just show how futures positions, futures traders are positioned. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we could, I guess we could get into a big argument on whether the physical market sets the price or whether the paper market sets the price. But um, in the short term, I believe the paper market sets the price. And a year ago, we had a situation where the commercials, which are the big banks, or the producers who are actually producing the metal, had their smallest net short position, I think, ever, and were almost net long. And we had a record speculative net short position, which was a perfect setup for a short squeeze. You know, a lot of the big guys squeezing the little guys, the big guys have bigger, deeper pockets, and so the little guys got squeezed, and we had this enormous 
um, you know, short squeeze uh, out of the commitment of traders positioning. So that was one thing that was positive. The second thing is that end of January of last year at the Davos Economic Summit, World Economic Summit, two of the themes that kind of came out of that were negative interest rates and the banning of cash. Yeah. And gold reacted, gold reacted very positively to that. Um, on the heels of that short squeeze and that Davos bump, we had what, in, I guess in technical terms, is called a golden cross where you had the, you know, the 50-day moving average blasting yeah. up through the 200-day moving average. And that, wow. you know, from a technical perspective, that shot gold up you know, almost 15% in the first six weeks of the year. Right. Um, then we okay, then we fast forward, then we get go a month deeper. Now we're in the March time frame, and everybody was expecting, you know, the Fed, they'd raised in December. They said they were going to raise four times in 2016, and they punted, right? They, they didn't raise, and then they didn't raise again in April, and they didn't raise again in, you know, and so, we, so that was a positive catalyst for gold that the Fed was backing off on their raising of interest rates. The, you know, the omniscience of the central banker theme started to, to lose its shine. So that was a positive catalyst for gold. Uh, then you get into the summer and lordy, lordy, Brexit happens, right? Which was a positive catalyst for gold higher. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing about that is, you know, overnight that, that, uh, that spike in gold you know, it spiked up to like 1350 or 60 or whatever it was overnight, but then it, you know, it gave it away really quickly. And then it kind of bounced around in this, I don't know, call it 1300 to 1350 range up through the Fed meeting in September, because now everybody thought they were going to raise in September. They didn't raise in September. We got one last little pop in gold. And then, you know, all of the, then this, the strong dollar started to come into play again. The dollar started to strengthen. They started talking about, well, we're definitely going to raise in December. So that whole narrative came in. And, you know, the commitment of traders at that point was at extremes. You know, the, now the commercials, rather than being almost net long, had one of their biggest net short positions in history. Um, the, the speculators, the small speculators and even the big speculators had their biggest long position in history. And now we got the reversal. And so... And then we got one last little gasp when it looked like Trump was going to win. And then when he did win, you know, we got that spike overnight, but it was the exact same thing as Brexit. Yeah. You know, you got this yeah. spike, but then when you started thinking, because, because nobody thought it was going to happen, but then when you started thinking about what the ramifications of it actually happening were, you know, you know, we've, we've, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. But my point is, is that we had over the first six to nine months, we had this perfect storm of catalysts to drive gold higher out of a record net short position. That was a perfect setup and a perfect follow through to have a big ramp in gold. That setup no longer exists right now. Well, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but it's not as extreme as it was six to nine months ago. Not only that, but the, if you look at the, the cot structure now, a lot of those shorts by the commercials have come down, but they're still pretty high on a historical basis. Mm. And even though the speculator's position, the long position has come down, it's still relatively high. Now, it's not, it's not a particularly And then when I look at global macro catalysts over the next, let's call it one to two months, a lot of those catalysts, I think, are dollar positive. Yeah. And while they might also be dollar, while they also might be gold positive, I think they're definitely dollar positive. And I think a strong dollar is a short-term headwind for gold. Then the yeah. other thing, so I think, then think, 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 think about this. And this is my other thought on it is a lot of people, uh, especially I've, I've seen it in, you know, my friends in the gold world is, you know, the Trump victory and you see this big reflation, repricing in bonds, reflation, in, re, re, repricing in inflation expectations, repricing in inflation based assets with the exception of gold. And so people are saying gold should be rising in an inflationary environment. So my, my theory on this is twofold. One is that in the early stages of inflation, early stages of inflation look like growth, looks like economic prosperity, looks like a reemergence of growth prospects. And that's seen as a good thing. So that's positive inflation, not negative inflation. And I think in that environment, since gold is such a hard thing for people to get their head around in those initial moves of inflationary assets, 
I think it goes into things like real estate and industrial commodities and stocks and more traditional assets. I don't think gold really starts trading on inflationary assets until on an inflationary basis until it starts to get into higher than it is now and starts to get into that negative inflation um, place. So and, I think you touched on a good and, point there. Like if you think through that what you, you're calling positive inflation, if you look at, go back in history, gold doesn't actually really necessarily correlate with inflation or deflation. What it very strongly correlates with is fear and uncertainty. Exactly. And, not, and exactly. not the same thing, right? So exactly. I'm with yeah. I'm with you, and that's and that's what I'm saying. I, you know, this because we got this quote unquote positive inflation, reemergence of animal spirits, a tilt towards growth with the Trump policies. That fear, so to speak, a little bit of that fear has been taken out, mm-hmm. and it's easier. Again, it's, it's I think it's easier for the common guy on the street, and even a lot of people on Wall Street, to go buy equities than it is to go buy gold. Um, so I think we have this little window, and maybe it's only two to three months long. Maybe it's only three or four months long, um, where you know this positive inflation or these animal spirits kind of can push traditional asset prices up while it doesn't push gold up. But again, I think this move in rates, personally, I think it's overdone. Uh, I think the the emergence of animal spirits due to potential Trump growth policies are overdone. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to crash back down and we're going to go into deflation, but I, ju- I just think that they're overdone. We can't have rates go up a whole lot more without starting to to have some trouble in the, you know, the, the pain of the, the interest on, on all the debts that are out there, all the, all the debt, right? Um, as, well as, the, as well as that yeah. sort of reflation trade, I think that that's, um, it's, you know, if you look at what happened to copper, right, and yeah. you can take a look at Freeport, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, look, Freeport's actually got a really interesting balance sheet. This is a separate topic in that, they're actually yeah. super leveraged to copper, and when the next quarter comes out, they'll be um, people will realise actually that you've got a basically a call option embedded in that. In that, but the point is that I think that that trade has definitely been overshot. Um, it's yeah. been a knee jerk reaction, and further to your comments before around what Trump can and actually can't do, I believe that a, a huge amount of what Trump has suggested on his campaign trail is just not going to happen. It's either not going to happen because he's just not going to implement it or he's going to have opposition that is just, you know, I think what Trump's legacy is going to end up looking like is that he's going to be a spanner in the works of of a number of current policies. But in terms of new initiatives, I don't see that as being something that's going to, you know, in four years' time, everyone's going to look back and go, wow, look at all these things he's built. I just don't think that's going to be... I don't think that's a, a realistic expectation, especially the way that the um, the political structure in the U.S. works. You've got to get things through Congress, <coughs> Congress, and um, so on and so forth. I mean, it's it's if you look at yep. politicians around the world, the United States president is actually not that powerful, right? Because they have to go through a process to get anything done. Yep. A politician right. like Putin, for on the other hand, he gets done whatever he wants to get done, right? Yeah. Right, right. I'm sure, exactly. they're a much smaller player in the, on that global playing field. But the point is that I think a lot of those policies that are currently being priced into the market and those potential eventualities are not going to be. Uh, they're not going to be to the extent that the market is currently expecting them to be. So yep. right, and I think um, you know this the stuff that the. the the, the stuff that's being seen as short-term positive, again, I think it is short-term positive, or I can understand why it's short-term positive, but a lot of this stuff eventually leads to a stronger dollar. And I, I, I've, you know, I've said several times that I think the dollar is going to get much stronger than most people think it is, and I think that's going to cause all kinds of problems, um, known problems and unknown problems, right? There's probably going to be, I can think of a number of problems that it's going to cause, but there's probably a a bunch of unintended problems that I haven't even thought of yet that I think a strong dollar will cause. Um, and I think, interestingly enough, I think it's going to be when they start putting in the solutions or the reactions or the, or the whatever you want to call them, pro- policies in order, in order to stop the strong dollar, I think that's what's going to ultimately be extremely bullish for gold. 
Um, and so that's why I've, you know, I'm saying in the short term, I think there's a few headwinds for gold, but long term, even medium and long term, um, I, I've never been more certain that gold's going to do well because, I mean, this is, again, as we said at the very beginning of the call, I, I couldn't script a better scenario for gold um, in, in the medium to long term. So let's, let's go there. You made the comment around some of the policies that will be enacted and so on and so forth. Yep. One of the things that, and I'm writing an article on this at the moment, which, which will actually get published before I publish this podcast, but we've had monetary policy since 08 that's dwarfed anything that we've seen in, the, um, in history, right? And to a large extent, that is, those bullets are, are pretty much shot. And I think that there's a, yep. um, an increasing realization by our central bank overlords that the policies that have been enacted are not doing the trick. So there's also been a market that's turned on them and given them the kind of results to policies, which they've have been unintended and shocked them. So the first of which was the um, negative interest rates in Japan in earlier this yep. year, it was in February, where they dropped, they dropped those rates and immediately the market reaction was the opposite. The yen rallied and the Nikkei plummeted, right, uh, right. on the right. open. And then, and then, you know, within a couple of days, it turned around. But this, this initial market reaction, and I remember talking with Grant Williams about it at the time, was indicative of failed policy, essentially. And we've had similar occurrences that have, you know, been taking place in the markets. And so I think that there's there's a reticence to carry on or an increasing reticence to carry on with those. What comes, I believe, not instead of, but in addition to, is essentially direct government intervention in the markets because the central banks are really more like quasi-government and they've got incentives that are not directly aligned necessarily with the politicians. And what I mean by government intervention directly, we could look at sort of the, the change of money market rules, which synthetically make treasuries more attractive, right? <clears throat> so you can have a, a number of policies which actually drive capital towards areas which the government may want. And it could just be in you know, taxation of certain types of equities. It could be taxation of corporate debt. It could be you know, incentives. It's, it's, the same, it's the same sort of policies as uh, subsidies and uh, things like that. Yeah, so, yep. but you can do it on a domestic scale, and then on the sort of far end of that curve, you've got incredibly strong, powerful direct government interventions. So things like we've just seen Modi, where he's taken what eighty six percent of the right. circulation out yep. of the country immediately, and so those you know those kind of things can severely affect capital flows, and then in that environment, and I was talking this through with a money manager in Singapore yesterday who runs a global macro fund. And it's difficult to imagine that environment as being negative for gold. But then, you know, then you kind of step into this environment where the things that you as a market participant would do may land up being illegal, right? And then we, then we start stepping into Wild West sort of territory, Right. right. Um, that's kind of the environment that we're in. And I, I, I think that we're going to see a lot more of this direct government's intervention in the markets. Yeah. Um, both, again, you've got to come back to what I've been writing about, which is this nationalism, right? This rise of nationalism right. across the world. And that's, that's really the populace saying, look, we want right. a strong leader who's going to come in and he's going to do some serious shit. Well, that, so, that, so that, well, everything that you're talking about is exactly in line with what I am thinking and what, what I was just saying about how short-term I see some headwinds for gold, but long-term you could not set it up any better. So let, let's take your Modi example, right? I mean, he is clearly, clearly intervening on a histo somewhat historic level in not just the economy, but in the, you know, in the day-to-day -day transactions and the day-to-day -day life of of, you know, what is it, 15 or 20% of the people in the world, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and what, but the thing is, once you, once you start going, and, but, and listen, these, these policies, they will ultimately fail. They will absolutely, ultimately fail. 
but that doesn't mean they're going to fail tomorrow, right? And once, yeah. I kind of feel like once you, once you start down this path, I mean, he cannot go back, right? And so he's not going to be able to go back, and he's probably going to double down on it. And, you know, I, I could see him come out and say, you know, if there was even an article about it last week, and I think that actually led to a little bit of the cell phone gold. Is it possible for him to, you know, make it illegal to import gold into India, right? Because that's their biggest import. They have a balance of payments problem, uh, yeah. you know, and that, that, that's a way to do illegal transactions, and it's a way to transact not using their, you know, their banknotes. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him do that. Now, again, that will ultimately fail. It will absolutely ultimately fail. There's no way you're going to be able to keep the people from India from owning gold, right? It's part of their DNA. But in the very short term, if you, if you make it illegal to import gold into India, in the short term, gold is going to go down. I just absolutely believe that. Now, again, it's extremely positive for gold in the long term. You probably couldn't write anything more positive for gold in the medium to long term. But the day that, that if that were to come out and be announced, that would be a negative for gold on that day or that week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, it's part of the, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news type of thing. The, the, the narrative is going to be we are going to quash the illegal underground black market. It's for the good of all the people, da, 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 da. You know what I mean? And so oh, they're so. not just going to. The, you know that they're they're always they always say it's for altruistic reasons, right? But it's really for control. Um, and so once he, he he started down that path, I think he has to continue down that path. Um, you know, it'll be the same. And, and if you believe, you know, there's a lot of people in the gold world that believe that gold is manipulated. So if you believe gold is manipulated, you got to believe that they're going to manipulate the hell out of it over the next three to six months <laughs> with all that's going on, right? Um, so you know, I just I just feel like. You know, it's it's extremely, extremely positive for gold. It's, I I can't, you know, emphasize that enough. I just think it's. A, I think some of this stuff is going to be a short-term headwind for it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I had a conversation um, with a gentleman probably a couple of couple of months back, and we were talking about digital cash, right, and the and the banning of cash. And this was before Modi came out. Right. And he made, and he made his. He's an American like yourself. And he made the comment to me that they would absolutely never do that in the United States. And I said, why would that, what makes you think that? And he said, no, if they banned cash, you'd have people out in the streets. It would just be an assault on freedom. And it just, it wouldn't be tolerated by the masses. And I contested that, suggesting that the vast majority of the developed world have already moved into digital cash. They're already yeah. there. They don't. Yeah. The, the amount of cash, actual cash, that's utilized on a daily basis as a percentage of of your yeah. opex or expenditure is really yeah. flat, fractional. I mean, most of your your power bills and your phone bills and all of that are probably on some sort of direct automatic debit off of accounts. And your store cards, your payment cards for gas and everything else, most of that tends to be digital. It's, it's really yep. just a very, very small fraction of actual physical cash that you're utilizing. And so transitioning a society like that is actually a piece of cake. And, yep. then, and then came out Modi, right? And this is now a country which yep. is the other way. The amount of people that actually use digital cash is a fraction. It's, it's, it's right. a percentage, right? Whereas the, right. the majority of the economy still operates on a cash-based system. And guess what? Modi's still in power. He is still yep. popular. Sure, yep. there are a lot of people upset, but he's done it. So I think if you, if you look at that and then you think through the process in a, in a developed world, this could potentially be the, the, test, the test pot for developed world sure. pol- political sure. leaders to have a look at that and go, you know what? Hell, I mean, this Modi is- could do I mean- it and we can. Yeah, I mean, this, this is this is the playbook, right? I mean, six or seven years ago, they started floating the idea of QE in like, you know, finance journals and, you know, conferences mm-hmm. and stuff. And then QE was here in a big way, right? Yeah. And then they started, you know, a year or two before negative interest rates showed up, you started seeing it float around, you know, in journals and, you know, op-eds and, you know, conferences. And then, you know what, here it is. 
now they've been for the last you know year or so they've been talking about the banning of cash and da da da. Well, you know what? Here it is, and you know they always it always starts in one country to send the test case, mm. and then they see. You know, I mean, and, and this is it's just the way that the world is moving. They they cannot they cannot create the inflationary effects that they need. And when I say they, I mean the existing you know monetary authorities. They they can't create the existing level of inflation that they need if people have an exit from you know the system and cash physical cash is an exit from the system. As soon as they can get everything digital or or, or get away from cash, then then they have control and they can uh, you know they can levy a wealth tax, a, uh, you know, a bank tax, a cash, whatever, you know, the, 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 a wealth transfer tax to the government where everybody gets, you know, 75 cents on the dollar of their existing holdings or whatever it is, you know, they can bail in overnight without, uh, without an escape valve. And I mean, that, that, that is what they, they are moving towards. So I have no doubt that, you know, we're, we're moving more towards that, not away from that. Okay. So what about, like you were talking about technicals before and um, the yep. traders and longs and shorts and so on and so forth. Yep. Now we've yep. seen that sort of retrace some. Um, so we're in a, a better environment now in terms of technicals. Yep. We're not, we don't have massive oversold or overbought positions. Yep. <clears throat> what, are your, what are you thinking in terms of um, the strong, uh, you know, and we discussed this before, a strong dollar yep. moving forward, which I think is built into the cards. Um, does, do you think that, uh, um, because everything's on a relative basis, right? And we, we've, yep. got, we've had this rotation, essentially, of capital. It's moved, oh, I mean, it's a little bit, actually. And people are going, oh, there's a big big move in the bond markets. But in terms yep. of context, it's nothing, really, on, on, a, on right. a long time frame. It's nothing. But we've had this beginning of a rotation of capital out of the bonds. It hasn't really gone into gold. It's gone into you know, a number of these other commodities, and I was looking at commitment of traders for a number of different asset classes. I was looking at the Nikkei. I was looking at copper. I was looking at um, uh, the softs, so, you know, a number of these things. And, and that's where copper looks a little bit scary for me. I'm not going to short it, but I wouldn't want to be getting along right here. So, right. again, you, you know, capital just needs to shift. If you get, you know, if we move into a strong dollar position, I still think that there's a potential for a, a, a number, a, a bunch of that cash to move out of the commodities because yeah. I think it's been overshot a little bit. But I do do look at that and then try to overlay it with this global macro environment that we've got what's going down in Europe right now, what's just happened in India. And it feels yeah. to me like there's got to be this sort of pent-up anxiety around how things are going to transpire, which seems like it has to be bullish for precious metals. I guess I'm just throwing rocks at that short term where you're saying there's headwinds for gold. I'm probably more bullish in the short term than you are yep. right now, yep. but I'm open to you know being having well, that refuted. Well, everything in, uh, well, listen, everything you're saying is why I, it, it's why I even hesitate to bring up why I have some short term reservations for gold because again, I think everybody should own gold. I think they should own it now. I don't think they should try to pick the bottom. Um, it would well, not look, surprise it's, it's me. Like, it's like what you saw what happened with Modi. I mean, imagine you've gone to dinner at night with your with your family, and you wake up in the morning. Boom! There it is. Yeah, no, no. you could have a pile of notes in your safe, and they're now, you know, illegal. Absolutely, <laughs> so, absolutely. And that's why, I, again, again, that, 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 everything that you're talking about is part of the reason why I hesitate to even give short-term outlooks for, for gold because yeah. I, I don't think it should affect your long-term strategic allocation. Everybody needs to own gold. Everybody needs to own physical gold. You need to not trade in and out of it. Now, if you have a trading position in addition to your strategic position, then maybe you try to be a little bit more cute with that strategic or that with that trading position. Right. But everybody, it, for anybody to be sitting right now without gold, it, it, in my opinion, without, you know, with all due respect, it's just, it's foolish. Um, you know, look around. The signs are there. This is happening, right? This yeah. is the world that we live in, and this is the world that we're moving into. And you know, to to, to go into this type of a world without a hedge against the status quo, uh, I just think you're absolutely crazy. Um, and so, you know, it would not surprise me at all to wake up tomorrow morning and have gold trading at fourteen hundred dollars and have it going up, you know, 
much higher than that in, in, in the next couple of months. It would not surprise me at all. It can absolutely happen, and you need to be prepared for that. Um, my gut tells me that it's not going to happen in the next two or three months, but it very well could, and if you're not prepared for it, then I think you're doing yourself a big disservice. So, yeah, going back to the, you know, the, 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 the Trump getting in, you know, I think part of the reason, you know, this will, maybe this will help clarify my strong dollar, dollar argument for you know, anybody who hasn't either seen my Step Into Liquid presentation or is just now trying to get their head around the whole strong dollar argument. Um, you know, I sent out a tweet, I think it was, it was a week or so ago, and I basically said, um, you know, no more QE plus rising rates plus Trump policies equals less flow of dollars. And then I said, but dollar-based debts, international-based dollar debts, and, um, you know, global capital flows means higher demand for dollars, Right. And you know you've got a you've got you've got a you've got a situation where the demand is there and increasing and the supply is decreasing and in that scenario price typically goes up right yeah and if if Trump comes in and you know he if he does what he's saying he's going to do which is an economic stimulus plan fiscal stimulus plan you know he he hinted that rates needed to go higher so you know this move in rates makes sense for that. Um, you know, that's just going to make the dollar even more attractive for people that want to park their, you know, cash somewhere and get a, you know, get some kind of a return on it rather than leaving it in euros or yen or whatever it is, because those currencies are still being, you know, devalued, so to speak, either through QE policies or extraordinary money policies. So, so that's one, you know, that's one scenario where the dollar gets stronger. You know, Trump also said that he was thinking about a, you know, kind of a one-time repatriation tax for companies to bring their, you know, foreign earnings back to the U.S. for investment here, and maybe give them a, you know, one-time 10 or 15% tax rather than, you know, whatever the current rate is at 35 or 40%. You know, assuming that that cash being held overseas by the likes of Apple or Microsoft or whoever it is, assuming it's not already sitting in dollars, but it's sitting in euros or yen or pounds or whatever it is, because that's where it was earned, you know. If that gets sent back to the U.S., it's going to come back in dollars, and that's going to be an upward pressure um, for the dollar. You know, the other Trump policies that he's talked about is he's going to negotiate bilateral deals, and if he doesn't like the terms on which, you know, he's negotiating and that the other side is agreeing to, then he would not hesitate to slap, you know, tariffs or import duties or whatever it is on certain goods from those countries. You know, that just leads to, that doesn't necessarily mean that trade stops, but it means less trade or a yeah. decreased amount of trade or, or less free flowing capital. Well, you've got this situation where the rest of the world really needs dollars. They absolutely have to have dollars uh, because they've borrowed in dollars and they sell things in dollars and they do business in dollars. Um, but if you have less global trade, that means less dollars are moving around. So you still have the same demand and you got less supply. Um, so, you know, I just think this strong dollar is going to happen. I think it's going to lead to a lot of problems in, in the global economy. And I think, um, you know, long term, it makes it, it uh, long term, I think the strong dollar destroys the system, basically. And I think they're going to have to come out with either a new system or a new, they're going to have to negotiate a new uh, plaza accord currency deal or whatever it is. Um, I, I think the strong dollar is going to be the catalyst that leads to them doing that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's there's there's a lot of ramifications of a strong dollar, many of which you've pointed out now, and understanding what those are and how they how the knock-on effects work, I think is is really important because so many global assets have been priced off of a standard whereby and an environment which has been for the last you know since the GFC has been. Yeah fairly benign in terms of um, volatility on a number of things. And that is a consequence of the, the, the central banks have, for the most part, worked to aid and abet one another. And that environment is largely over, I think. The, the, the political will behind that is evaporating as we speak. Um, yep. You can't tell me that Trump is going to really sit down with the Bank of Japan or the Bank of China or the People's Bank of China or even the ECB and, uh, and not negotiate from a, from a sort of me first perspective, right? How right. he works and that's how he, he yep. thinks about things. 
certainly the Bank of Japan is in that boat now. They've already come out pretty much and, and told, um, you know, the People's Bank of China and others that, you know what, we don't really care what you want. We're going to do what we need to do because we need to look after right. us first. And so right. there's this inward-looking um, central bank, you know, in more inward-looking central banks. And so as a result, the, the system starts fracturing. And in that environment, yeah, it's, it's initially very dollar positive. Um, but again, the knock-on and the consequences of that are, are extreme because such, such imbalances have been built up under this yeah. premise of central, you know, coordinated central bank activity. Yeah. And, well, you know, exactly. You know, think about it. They, they've really been coordinating, you know, for the last three or four years. They've been trying, you know, they, they, they meet every couple of months. They, they, you, you can tell that they've tried to do these coordinated moves. Um, but, you know, I think a Trump victory you know, and as the dollar gets stronger that, and, you know, he starts doing bilateral negotiations. I mean, it's just, it's, it's less global cooperation and more one-on-one -on -one deals. And, you know, I think that, as you just said, that leads to, that leads to a uh, less coordination at the central bank level. And you really start getting into the currency wars at that point. And um, so I think the volatility is going to be much higher, um, you know, than it has been. And I think, uh, you know, the interesting thing, I talked to a guy named Axel Merck. I don't know if you know Axel. I yes. spoke to him a couple weeks ago. I don't know him ago. personally, but I, yeah. So he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's big into currencies and, um, you know, precious metals. And you know, I think he has a macro strategy as well. And, but he, he had a good point is that, you know, with all the central bank activity that has levitated assets around the world, whether it's real estate, stock prices, bond prices, you know, at least until the last couple of weeks on bonds, um, you know, there used to be an asset class that was going down, and that was kind of like the outlet for all the pressure that's being built, built up in the system. Well, now with all the assets going up in unison, the outlet valve has been the currencies. And so you've seen right. these moves in currencies that historically wouldn't happen. You know, you know, 10 or 15 moves in the pound, you know, 30 or 40% moves in the Turkish lira, you know, Egypt revaluing their currency. You can see the renminbi or the yuan being devalued by the Chinese, you know, the dollar going up. 10 or 15 percent. I mean, that, those are big moves in currencies, right? Um, and so I just think that, uh, you know, that that is going to lead to the hyper volatility in the, in, in the future here. I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, the time, uh, this is obviously for the fun that we're on, this is super exciting because, yeah, well, it, it's exciting, but at the same time, it's um, these opportunities don't exist for very long typically, right? So like right now you've got an environment where the market's not really pricing these outcomes, right? Um, right. And, but as soon as they do price them, your asymmetry just vaporizes. And yeah, no, right. then, then you just got to sit and enjoy the ride. Um, but it means that you kind of, you can't deploy anymore, um, at least not yeah. with, you know. So, I mean, a, a good example would be the dollar index back in, in um, late, 2014 when it broke yeah. the seven year and then the 30 year and like it, you know we went in and we were buying long dated options on dollar index and you know vol at the time was like three percent which was insane right. i mean right. it could move that right. much in a day but we've been through this period of time where for essentially a decade the dollar had done nothing but go down and yeah. so as a consequence Nobody expected anything other than a, 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 a linear progression of what had been in the last 10 years. You know, and the market was telling us that it was turning. It already you know, had turned. And, and so the pricing was still low. And then six months later, vol was up over 8%. You know, so you, you, like, yeah. you didn't have a chance. You, you had no time. Once, it, once that move had really begun, then um, you, you couldn't trade it. In. Like you just sat on it, right? And you just waited for your right. option to... Um, right. to go to expiry. But uh, if you're not, if you're trading options, obviously you can do spot effects and futures and all that other carry, carry on, but I don't, we don't use any leverage. So that's kind of a, I feel again, like we're back, we're back there again because yeah. the market's not currently pricing a lot of these outcomes. Um, so yeah. it's, it's, it's exciting. Um, but you also realize that you're kind of living in this world where it's exciting for a short time and then, you know, and you and you've only you only get like a few cracks of it. Well, the exciting thing for me, I, I feel like you know, 
you know, when we talked last time, I think it was July or August when we did the podcast and we were talking about, you know, at the time you were asking me about my, my step into liquid presentation. And, you know, at the time I was talking about the debt super cycle, yep. you know, and how the debts were so big, interest rates couldn't rise too, too high. Talked about the petrodollar, how, you know, those countries that are, you know, receiving funds through the petrodollar were having to sell dollar-based assets in order to raise funds because the price of oil had come down. Well, you know, we continue to see that, right? We yeah, see, you know, Saudi Arabia yep. selling treasury bonds because they need the dollars. You know, they, 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 they floated a $17 billion bond because they needed the dollars. So you're seeing some of that stuff play out. The regulatory environment, you know, with the, the change in money market funds, yep. you know, that went into effect and that pushed up funding costs. And so, that, you know, all of the, I feel like all of this stuff is playing out. Um, it's going to be fantastically exciting to kind of see how it plays out over the next, you know, six, nine, 18 months, uh, because I feel like we're, we're, there, there is a, there, there's, you can tell there's a, there's a, there's, there's a change coming, right? Now, whether that's, whether it's yields going up and continue to go up or whether it's, you know, the strong dollar leading to problems or whether it's, you know, just a political change with Trump coming in, you know, you, you can feel that the winds of change are just, you know, blowing through the wind and you can, um, I, I don't think we're going to have this, you know, low volatility world where everything just kind of goes up at a nice, easy sloping right angle. Um, I, I think we're going to start getting, asset allocation dislocations or, or asset class dislocations as opposed to, you know, this nice, uh, easy time that we've had the last couple of years. I agree. And, you know, you and I discussed this before, often everything seems to take so much longer than you anticipate, but then sometimes yeah. it happens all at once and it happens really quickly, <laughs> you know? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Look, so, you know, rates is a, is a good one and we, we were slowly sort of stepping into short into shorting bonds and and then we went heavily in in August. Um, wow, that was great timing, huh? And and you know that was the part of it was technicals. Like, look, the fundamentals. The, this the math is of this has been etched in in stone long back, right? Right. But right. That hasn't helped traders for you know the last yep. ten years. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah. And so you know you you you. It's, it's taking multiple pieces of the puzzle, which is why I love speaking to you and I love you know, speaking to dozens of different um, investment guys that have all got their own, their own sort of pieces of the puzzle that they look at and trying to amalgamate all of them to get, get me a, you know, a good, decent, robust picture. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh... and, and so one of those was like a technical side of things where on a technical basis it looked like we had um, we had topped we topped about two weeks after brexit and um, and then a big part quite frankly was that we looked at stuff and we're like you know what if we're wrong who cares this stuff is so so cheap that um, you know who cares we were buying you know puts on uh, short sterling um, for you know two years out for a few basis points it was just you know, for, yeah. and you go back in history and you realize that uh, that market can move that much in a day. And, and, yeah, and, exactly. and so, so, so I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, when the stuff starts moving, it can like happen sort of all at once. You know, quite frankly, I looked at how Brexit played through and then, you know, as you know, I sort of, uh, and you and I spoke about this before with the Trump presidency and I sort of, i mentioned that I thought he was going to win in a landslide and kind of laid out some of those yeah. reasons, which happened. But you know what was interesting was I hadn't anticipated that that would culminate. I actually thought that, that would culminate in a bond rally. Yeah. Because that's what we've had. Yeah. I mean, every yeah. extraneous yeah, right. event that we've had that has yeah. shot the markets has been, oh, shit, let's get into bonds. And so, you know, this was, this to me, this was like, what happened to the Bank of Japan um, in, when they introduced um, negative interest rates? That initial right. market reaction was really telling as to what the market thought of those policies. And, you know, to, to me, the Trump presidency or the election of Trump was a, it was a seminal event um, that yeah. I think we're going to have to look back and go, you know what, that, that was a turning point um, in this entire cycle, and it, you know, it actually had turned prior to that, but that was that was a market validation of that in in my mind. And you know, I'm clearly I could be wrong, and we'll 
only know in hindsight, but but it was you know even though I got the call right, I I didn't anticipate that flow through. Um, and look, I wasn't long bonds. I you know we were right. short, um, yeah. bonds, but I had in the you know I had sat there thinking, you know what, this is just going to be another chance for me to have another crack because yeah. if bonds yeah, rally, right. I'm just going to sell into the rally, and then bonds didn't rally. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Does mar- markets have a have a fascinating way of keeping you humble, right? Oh, absolutely. Anytime you, you, think you have to figure it out, just think you can see things clearly. You you better hold on because that's about the time you get knocked upside the head with a baseball bat. Yeah, and I mean, look, that's that's where it comes back to why I don't use leverage, and also, yeah. I you know, if you get the major stuff right, that's really yeah. matters. You get the major stuff right, you can get stuff around the edges um, wrong, and provided you position size intelligently, um, you're going to do well. And so, you know, that's, but, but, and that's just also keeping yourself humble, right? Because you might look at something, you know, this is a no-brainer, you have to do it, and you've just missed some little piece, and yeah, it might be a no-brainer, but it might be a no-brainer in two years because something else just right. put a little spanner in the works, and you've gone and you've over, oversized your position, and now your yeah. portfolio is down 30, 40%, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, and look, it's, it's been good for me to, it's been fine for me to do that with personal capital, right? You, you're the only one that pays the price. Um, but, you know, now running um, other people's capital, you know, it, that's a different gig. Um, you've got to be a lot more attuned to risk because there's one thing losing your own money, but losing someone else's money is. Yeah. <laughs> there's, not, there, there's nothing. There's nothing worse than losing somebody else's money. That's uh, right. Yeah. But you know what? That's that's the that's the game. That's, I, I hate using the word game because it sounds like uh, you know it's not important. But um, that's the business that uh, that I'm in, and you know you're in, and that a lot of us are in. And so you know you got to have it's not it's not a game for little boys. You better you better have some cojones if you're going to play this game, right? Yeah. Well, Brent, as always, it has been. A fascinating pleasure talking with you. And absolutely. Let's, uh, let's do it again soon. We'll do it again soon. We absolutely will. Take care. And we'll, we'll be chatting regardless. As things progress, I'll, as always, drop you my thoughts and be questioning you, as always. And I always appreciate your your insights. So um, helps me a lot. And, um, I'm thankful for absolutely. it. Absolutely. It goes both ways. So uh, happy holidays peace and love and all that kind of good stuff to your family and listeners and everybody else. Fantastic. Well, you take care, Brent, and we'll speak later. Cool. Thanks, man. Okay. Cheers. Thanks very much for tuning in. To receive more great subscriber-only information, go to capitalistexploits.at.